from the Union Chapel. Uh, I've talked to Noah. He said, don't worry. It's not going to rain much longer, so we're going to be fine. Some of you I know are thinking about boat construction. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of rain. Glad you made it through, and we're glad you're here. We are beginning a new series this morning. We've been asking the question, how can we better add value to all the folks who associate with our church? How can we help them be everything God wants them to be and to leave the kind of imprint, footprint, if you will, in the world of influence with their lives? And we've tried to simplify it as much as we can to make it easy to, to make the application. Many of you know that our mission statement is a three-word statement to help people know God through a relationship with Jesus, to grow in that relationship, and to go helping others find the same hope we've found in, in our relationship with Jesus. So know, grow, and go is kind of our mission statement. It's why we exist as a church, why we're in business. And so we've associated a practice with each of those three items that we want to encourage everyone who associates with our church to engage. Three practices. Under the no, we want you to practice attending church. We want you to attend regularly. Come to church on a regular basis. It's the best way to know God around here. Then under the grow, we want you to join a small group. Get in a small group, get in a fellowship circle, get in a prayer group, get in some kind of fellowship here at Union Chapel because we know that people grow in their faith best when they're in authentic community, genuine relationships. So get in a small group. And the third thing, under go, is we want you to find your fit and sign up to serve. Serve either in the church or in a mission outside of the church. Do something to serve someone else. So no, attend services, grow, get in a small group, go, learn to serve. And so this is called the UC3. The UC3, everyone say that with me. UC3, say it one more time. The UC3, there's a big icon of it on the wall in the lobby. There's one over in the lobby in the sanctuary area as well. And so you'll be seeing it on our publications and so forth. But it's a reminder to do, practice three things. Go to church. It'll really help you. Go to church. Second of all, join a group. Third, find a means to serve. You do those three things and you'll find your life getting better. So in the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about those three areas. And I hope it is encouraging and inspiring to you. We've chosen this morning as our text from the book of Isaiah, Old Testament prophet Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 to 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom here is to stand to hear God's word. I invite you to do that as you're able. And so the prophet, under the inspiration of God's spirit, writes, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May God inspire today and encourage through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. You'll see on your outline in your bulletin that I've listed three benefits of public worship, of corporate Worship. When we get together, there are amazing things that happen to us individually and happen to us corporately. And I want to just name a few of those. There's probably a thousand benefits of gathering together for worship, the worship of God. But here are three. 
The first one is this, that public worship connects us to God. Connects us to God. Now, how many of you agree getting connected with God is a good thing, right? It's good. It's good to be connected with God as opposed to separated from God. It's good to be connected. Look at this verse in Matthew chapter 18. This is the words of Jesus. He said, for where two or three of you are gathered together, my sake, my name, there I am with them. There I am in the midst of them. What a, is that a great promise? Is that a great promise? Now, those of us who have been in church for a while, we've known the faith for maybe many years, and we are regular in our attendance, we may, over time, begin to take that for granted or become a little more casual about that or just assume certain things that are going to happen. But it's really fun to be around newbies in the church or folks who are new in their faith or seeking the faith, trying to understand God's plan for their life. And it's fun to listen to them tell their story because oftentimes you hear reports of people saying, you know, I went to church and something happened. It was just different. I was feeling things I don't feel before. And, and, and I just felt closer to God. I mean, I don't understand what's going on. It's fun to listen to people try to sort that out. But let me tell you what's going on. They've arrived in a place with people who have assembled in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, and guess what happens? The promise is, so cool, it's so great. When you gather, just two or three of us, in his name, Jesus shows up. Why is this so special when we do this corporately? Why is it unique and special of anything else we do throughout the week? It's special because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. How cool is that? That is just the greatest promise and so it, it connects us to God when we're together in worship. Here's the second thing. Write this down. Public worship inspires us to faithful living, inspires us to read the Bible, inspires us to pray, inspires us to seek fellowship with one another, inspires us to give a witness for God's grace in our lives, to share our story with people as God opens up opportunities for that. It inspires us to faithfulness. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. This is a great passage. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as are in the habit, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And so here's this admonition to, to make it a habit and to encourage one another, to spur one another on in good deeds and love because, because it really does inspire us to faithful living. Look at Ecclesiastes 4. I love this passage. Two are better than one. They have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls who has no one to help them up. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? Also, if two lie together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And how beautiful that is. And what a grand reminder that we can be inspired together, faithful living. Let me just add this third thing that is a benefit of corporate worship. You want to write this down too, that public worship ennobles us for higher purposes. It ennobles us. Now, don't underestimate this one. Maybe you've never heard this one before. This is so important. Now, think nobility when you hear 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at this on the screen. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Can you feel nobility? I hope you can. God's special possession 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that beautiful? See, that, that, that ennobles us. It ennobles us in character. It ennobles us in spirit. It ennobles us in mind. When we, when we gather together and we think the thoughts of God, we sing the songs of God, we pray, pray prayers to God, we, we consider the exalted language of the scripture about God. This ennobles us. It makes us better people. It expands our character. It grows us in our lives. Nobility isn't isn't merely you being better than the guy or gal next to you. Nobility is you being a better person today than you were yesterday, employing the habits and disciplines in your life so that your character grows and your Christ-likeness is formed, makes you a noble person. And we totally underestimate the effect that corporate worship, public worship has on our own character and the nobility that it creates in our lives. So I hope that you'll appreciate that. Now, all of that under this category of knowing God through attending church. Let me ask you something. Do you know God? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ? The means that God has provided for us to have connection with him, peace with God. Do you know him? We saw one man who has experienced God's connection and portrayed it in this, in this dramatization. We want you to see it. Check it out. My dad has always been a tinkerer. He likes doing things with his hands and figuring out how to fix things. For instance, growing up, I don't remember him ever taking any of our cars to get an oil change. That was just one of those things he seemed to enjoy doing on his own. And over the course of a few of these oil changes, he would slowly fill up this large metal container with the used oil. And this stuff was dirty. I mean, it was filthy. It was basically sludge. And eventually he would take it to get recycled, but in the meantime, it sat along the outside wall of our garage. And my brother and I, we were given strict instructions to keep our distance. And we did. I mean, we absolutely did. Except the time when I didn't. <laughs> On that particular occasion, I was innocently strolling by when I stopped. And I looked. And I took a couple steps back. And I remember that I could hear the sound of my own heart beating as I looked down and saw myself reflected in that inky sludge. And I knew exactly what I should not do. And I did it anyway. I plunged both hands in until I was up to my elbows. And it was thick and slimy and dirty. Basically, it was awesome. And then, it wasn't awesome. I suddenly realized how much trouble I was in. The oil clung to me even as it was dripping from my fingertips. 
So I tried to shake it off. And it went everywhere. So I, I tried to skim it off and rub it off. And nothing was working. So I ran to the garage and I grabbed a rag that was way too small for the job. And at this point, just total panic. So I snuck back into the house, into the bathroom, where I just began to scrub and scrub and scrub with soap and water. But the only thing that I managed to do was smear the oil all over myself and all over the white porcelain sink, all over the bathroom tile. In trying to clean up my mess, I had made it so much worse. So I did the only thing left to do. Dad? I could hear his footsteps in the living room. And then in the hallway. And as he opened the bathroom door, I burst into tears. I was so ashamed. And then without a word, he took one of my oil-smeared hands and he led me to the kitchen. And from underneath the sink, he pulled out a bottle of this orange-scented, sandy kind of soap. And then he stood there with me at the sink and he helped me wash away the mess that I'd made. I watched as it disappeared down the drain. Sin makes an ungodly mess. It makes a mess of us. It makes a mess of the things and the people that we use to try to clean it up and cover it up. And it simply cannot be gotten rid of unless, unless you're given stronger stuff. And the good news is that when we call out to Jesus for help, he has stronger stuff. So God says to us, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though your sins be crimson, they shall be as wool. This wonderful plea, this wonderful invitation of God to each one of us, having made provision for us and given us hope through faith in Jesus Christ, Listen to the words of the scripture. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. I'll put that on the board for you. Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I'll give you rest. Isn't that a beautiful sentiment? Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. The invitation God's plea is extended to all of us. A few years ago, I was 
here one night with 180, our youth ministry, and an invitation for teenagers to make a decision to follow Jesus was made, and I was at the front helping with that process, and there was a teenage girl, maybe 13, 14 years old, and she finished praying, and she looked up at me, and tears were staining her face, and I will never forget what she said. She simply said, I have never felt love like this in my life. I said, yes, yes, ma'am. This is the love of God that you're feeling, the love and tenderness of God toward you. And as you've received Christ, his invitation to you now is to love him with all of your heart, with all of your life. My wife Beth is not here this morning because this morning in Indianapolis, our 10-year-old granddaughter Marin is being baptized. And that's, yeah, that's a great thing. I saw Marin a few days ago. Marin, why are you being baptized? To follow the example Jesus set. She said, you know, Jesus was baptized. And why is it important for you to do that? She said, to show everyone that I've received Jesus into my heart. And why is that important, Marin? So that I know my sins are forgiven. And I have a relationship with God. I said, Marin, if you were being baptized this week, you could come and preach my sermon. <laughs> I've told you, reminisced with you about my own conversion when I was 16 years old. There's a part of my story I've never told you. I went to church that night on a Friday night in the fall. There was a group of people from outside of our small community who had come to our local church as a team of people to share their witness, to tell their testimony of their experience with God, their story. It was very compelling. That night, as a 15-year-old teenage girl told her story about her faith journey, I realized I have a relationship with God that is nothing compared to that. I realized I was lost for the first time. I realized that my sin had burdened my life and separated me from God. And I was experiencing what the Bible calls the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We broke out into smaller groups and about 15 teenagers, we found ourselves in the basement of the church that night in a circle. We were invited to tell everyone in the circle about our relationship with God. When it came to me, I said, I don't really have a relationship with God. Sitting to my right that night was my good friend Larry Carlisle. Larry was a neighbor. He was a good friend. He was a year ahead of me in school. He was a good guy from a good family, farming family. He was a fine athlete. We played high school basketball together. So we often found ourselves in the same place at the same time. At the end of that session in the basement that night, the young girl who had shared her testimony in such a compelling way earlier said to the rest of us teens in the circle, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to go upstairs to the altar of the church and rededicate my life to Jesus. And I'd invite you to come and join me. And it was interesting, one by one, all the kids left the circle until there were just two alone in that basement, Larry Carlisle and me. And I finally turned to Larry and I said, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to go upstairs. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I intended to do. I didn't even know what to do. 
But I made my way up and found myself at the altar of the church and a kindly man took my hand and helped me and led me to faith in Jesus Christ. And my life has never been the same. I stood up that night and walked upstairs to the altar. Larry Carlisle stood up that night, walked out the back door, got in his car and went home. Two years later, I was at the university. One evening when the phone rang and I picked it up, it was my dad and he had some somber news. My friend Larry had decided not to go on to college. He would work the family farm. And the night before, he had been driving their 18-wheeler. He fell asleep at the wheel, ran off the road, and was killed. I don't know where Larry is this morning. And neither do you. But here's what I do know. That the great God of the universe has paused and bowed low, condescending through the ranks of glory and angels to the land of our world, a land of brokenness and strife, in order to make an appeal to us, to make a plea, to give an invitation, motivated by his love and his mercy and his grace, an extension of hope toward every one of us, hope that we can find in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why the angels sang the night of his birth. This is why tens of millions have come to a meaningful faith and relationship with him through the ages. This is what sustains and holds together what's left of our brokenness in our world. And he remains our only and ultimate hope. And the invitation is given. I suspect that there are many in this room, you've heard this invitation before, but you've rejected it. You've spurned it. You've put it off. But note the language of our text today from Isaiah 118. It says, come now, not tomorrow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Not some time in the future when maybe you feel like you're closer to death than you are today so that you could sort it out then. But come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. And the invitation then is given to us. And God being long-suffering and patient, rich in his mercy, even though you've said no to him many times before, says to you the invitation is still open. And maybe you're coming to a conclusion this morning because of the witness of God's spirit among us that this is your day. Today is your day. Not tomorrow, but now. And this is your moment. This is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ and his gift. And that's the invitation I want to extend to you today and pray that you'll say yes to this wonderful plea. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Close your eyes. Let me ask you this morning, no one's looking around. Is there anyone in the room today who would say, Pastor Greg, yes, I understand my need for Jesus. I sense, I sense that my relationship with God is broken and needs to be restored. I need his forgiveness, and I need the hope that he provides. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. If that's your prayer, your intention, would you just lift your hand? Just lift it up. Good for you, honey. In the back. Yes, sir. See that? Good. All over the room. I wonder if there's someone in the room also, 
And maybe you've lived for Jesus at some point in your past, but life has happened to you, and you've lost your way, and you've lost your connection and your inspiration and your desire to serve him. But you know it's time, time for you to come home. You're through with running. You're through with trying it on your own. You're ready to submit to him. If that's true for you, would you just say, here I am, raising your hand, saying I need to come home today. Good, 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 good. Our team's going to sing a song right now that will allow you to think about, contemplate this decision you're making. We don't often do this, but I want to extend the invitation for you just to move to the front. If you've raised your hand and you're serious about your commitment to Jesus today, you could come forward. This, the front of this platform makes a wonderful altar. There's a place to kneel if you wish. People will be here to help you if you desire that. And so feel free to come. Just remain seated. People will let you pass by. And feel free to come. And then we'll have a prayer at the end. So hear this song and let it minister to you. Your 
I invite you to stand with us. Let me pray with you. You raised your hand just a moment ago. I want to pray especially for you if you responded by coming to the front. But I'd like all of us to join together in praying out loud this prayer. So pray right after me. Are you ready? Out loud. Let's pray. Dear God of heaven, thank you for your grace, your mercy and love, which has made a way for us. And so today I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind. Cleanse my life. I give my life to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would assure me and empower me to live for you. And so, Lord Jesus, from this day forward, I have decided to follow you. Give me your strength to live every day for your sake. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for me. I give my heart and life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Praise God.